With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, hey, Husker Nation, and welcome in. It's great to have you here. This is the Husker Online Monday Rundown Show, and we have late-breaking news for you. The typical host of the program is Sean Callahan, but he got a special dispensation from the Nebraska School Activities Association today. He gets exactly two more quarters of eligibility. He has uh, taken advantage of the transfer portal and will be starting at left guard for the Westside Warriors in the Class A championship game against the Gretna Dragons tonight. So if you're at the game or you're on the way, look for Sean. He'll be the one signing autographs and body parts after the game. Okay, I made all of that up. Great to have you here. Jim Rose sitting in for Sean. Jeff's also away, but who else but Steve Sipple, uh, the intrepid reporter, one of the true greats of his craft. At least some say that. He's with yeah. us here for another Monday. Sip, great to see you. Glad you didn't get caught with Frostbrite uh, during the Wisconsin game. Hopefully you were inside, uh, unlike the hearty 49,000 who were there for kickoff or something like that for the Huskers in Wisconsin. Great to see you again, man. Yeah, it's great to see you, Jimmy. And you got a big job here tonight hosting this. Yeah, forty nine. You think it was about forty nine thousand that stadium? You know, I was I was doing my uh, famous one hundred, two hundred, three hundred. You know, which is how we used to actually calculate attendance at uh, Buck Belzer Field when the Husker baseball team played. It was the smallest crowd that I have ever seen in my lifetime at a Nebraska football game. Interesting. Uh, I would suspect probably. I go back 50 years watching Husker games there. I would suspect probably around game time, we were in the neighborhood of 60 to 65,000. Mm-hmm. But then by halftime, probably dropped to 55,000. And then by the fourth quarter, I'd say somewhere between 45 and 50. Uh, and it was an 11-point game, and a lot of fans probably thought this is going to be okay. Uh, an 11-point lead in the fourth quarter, Wisconsin does not have a great offense. So I can head for the bun warmers. Uh, now and be okay. Unfortunately, the last seven, eight minutes of that quarter, not so happy. And the Huskers lose to Wisconsin again. What were your thoughts of that ball game as you saw it, especially in the fourth quarter? Oh, I mean, there's a lot of thoughts. I mean, one is that Wisconsin didn't play well. I mean, it was this was an, this was a um, instance where Nebraska had a, had a great chance to to end that long losing streak to Wisconsin. Um, you know, I mean, Mertz, Graham Mertz threw an early interception. Nick, they lose their best player to an eject, their best defender, or probably their best player overall, Nick Herbig, to an, an ejection. Um, you know, Nebraska has a lead going into the fourth quarter. Um, and what it comes down to, Jimmy, to me, what I'll always remember about it is with five minutes to go, Nebraska – got the ball and just needed a couple first downs and couldn't get it. And then, then, it, then the defense needed to stop, couldn't get it. 
and that's you know that's that we've been seeing a lot of that um, over the years, and it's very informative to me that Nebraska just doesn't first of all doesn't have the offensive line. We always talk about these kind of football cliches that are very real, and one is a good running game is useful in a lot of ways, including the ability to salt away a lead, salt away a game. Couldn't do it. Um, and then Nebraska, I've been saying for years now that they just the the lack of all Big Ten type players, lack of all Americans, and we don't even talk about all Americans anymore for some reason. You don't have that on defense. If you have one or two or three of those guys on defense, you can get that stop, that last stop. Uh, lo and behold, they don't have it. And they didn't get the stop. This is doubly frustrating, I think, for a lot of Nebraska fans under the following conditions. Over mm-hmm. the last three years, as has been chronicled by you and, and Sean and all of us that cover Nebraska football, as has been chronicled, 18 offensive linemen have been signed in the last three recruiting classes. Okay. So the idea that Frost inherited a, a cupboard that was empty of offensive linemen is acceptable and understandable, but five years later, to have guys that literally are barely Division One caliber performers, or so it would appear, is hard for folks to imagine. This mm-hmm. is just the second offensive line coach since mm-hmm. Scott Frost took over. Mm-hmm. And you could argue that Turner Corcoran is one of the more highly recruited linemen of the last 10 or 15 years, and yep. he's regressed. Yes. Uh, which offensive lineman has actually gotten better over the last three years? I, this I is think- the sheer frustration. Yeah, it doesn't. There's not a long line of those guys. I think Ethan Piper is graded well in the last few games. You know, he was he played for last year, then was benched, now has reemerged and has actually graded well. Believe it or not, and this is pro football focus that does these grades. Believe it or not, Ben Hart has graded well um, of late, the last three games. Now, you know, these guys, Jimmy. I don't. I don't want to sound like an apologist. I often do, but I don't want to. Sound like a, I don't want to sound like an apologist for these, for this line. But the, you know, some of these guys do have a couple years left, and maybe, maybe can get to a point where you feel really good about that about them. But I mean, it is right now. No, you don't. They don't. They haven't produced at a level you one would expect, and it is a huge. I mean, it was a. I mean, this is one glaring area of the Frost regime that didn't just didn't pan out like it should. And I don't and I don't it's everybody asks why. Well, as one would expect, it's probably a pretty fairly complicated discussion. Yeah. Well, and there is much to it. Scheme, identity, uh, recruiting to a scheme, recruiting to an identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wondered aloud on KFAB this morning if you were to. If you were to sit down with an offensive lineman and mm-hmm. say, you have 10 seconds to tell us what your identity is, how many of them would be able to do it? Uh, and it doesn't mean they're dumb. It doesn't mean they're stupid. It means, well, gee, that's a really good question, Mr. Sipple. That's a really good question, Mr. Rose. Let me think about that for half a day and I'll get back to you. Because mm-hmm. it might vary from game to game. It might vary from, from series to series. And one of right. the great, one of the great right. untold secrets of the Nebraska dominance in the offensive line during the Mel Tenniper, Dan Young, Tom Osborne years was that come Monday morning, there was never any doubt about what that group was, about what it was trying to do. And the only thing that was going to stop it was themselves. Right. And, in, and at the best programs in the Big Ten, if, if you sat down 
offensive linemen. They could tell you exactly what the identity is. For sure they could do that at Michigan. For sure they could do that at Wisconsin. It's time-honored at Wisconsin. Um, for sure you could do it at Ohio State, and it would be a different answer than Michigan and Wisconsin, but it would be an answer, um, probably a pretty um, probably a pretty distinct answer. So, yeah, the, if, at the very top, pro, Iowa. I mean, come, Iowa's going to win the West most likely. We know. I mean, now those programs have the benefit of stability. Ferentz, Ferentz is Kirk has been there for twenty three years. Wisconsin's had a system in place since Barry Alvarez was the head coach. So back in the nineties, they do benefit from that. Nebraska cycled through so many damn things, so many cosmetic changes that we no longer really know who we are. I mean, we got, we have, we have, we have, we've undergone facelift after facelift till we're barely recognizable now. So I don't, the kids, of course, are probably confused. Yeah. This is a, this is an area of growth. Uh, This is a tremendous opportunity. And I really believe with the new coaching staff, you might mm-hmm. be surprised at how quickly this turns around. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know that seems hard for a lot of Nebraskans to believe, given what we saw. This offense generated all of 13 plays and 27 yards in the fourth quarter against Wisconsin. And this is the worst Wisconsin football team of the last 10 years, maybe the last 15. So I know a lot of people are saying we're a lot further away than you think. I don't necessarily believe that. I think if you get the right coaching staff in here with the right technique, and they profess a certain way of doing business, you might see results quicker than expected, even with current players. Uh, a, a new attitude is just that. You get a new staff, you get a new attitude. And sometimes that new attitude can make a huge difference very quickly. I think you're right. I think you're right. And then coupled with just the way college football has evolved, you can whip things around pretty quick because of the transfer portal. Um you can fortify a decent roster right now with, with those high end players to which I've referred to whom I've referred. You need, you need, you need to get some high end players though, Jimmy. Um, But it's not a terrible, it's not a terrible roster. I mean, this is a team that's not getting blown out. Um, So it's not, I wouldn't say this is, I, I, by no means would I say this is a terrible team. It just has some glaring deficiencies. Yeah. It just, it's in my view, um, it's not fit for the Big Ten Conference. It's right. certainly not fit for the Western Division. Uh, we talked about this when Scott Frost became the head coach. This program needs to have an offense that can hold a five-point lead in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Uh, and it has not done that in many years. Oh. It's never, ever been able to do that. It did for 25, 30, 40, 50 years, but then it stopped doing it. Uh, and in this conference, even more so than the old Big 8 or the Big 12 conference, you've got to be able to hold a five-point lead in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. And if you look at how Iowa is now 13 for its last 13 in November games, 13 for 13, that's a remarkable stat. It's because they can hold a five-point lead in the fourth quarter. Jimmy, but i got to tell you, it's now it's very interesting. Now, I don't know where you stood when when Nebraska made the change in 03 and and – chose this dramatically different path, but we all, I mean, most of us signed off on it. I mean, it's hindsight. Now we can all admit we were wrong. That Those that signed off on it, I didn't sign off on it. I thought I, I said at the time, and I don't mind saying it because I said it on the radio about a hundred times, be careful <laughs> what you're doing here. Yeah. Be careful because you might end up looking unrecognizable or you might end up looking like Purdue. And and I used Purdue as an example back then. And now Purdue's better than you. Um, 
so we did this. I mean, I, you're right. I mean, it was the wrong call, and now it's what we're what Nebraska does doesn't work. But this is a fan base that signed off on it. Hi, it's Sean Callahan with Husker Online. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones and see what we find. Learn more at uscellular.com slash built for us. Yeah, and I think probably because the fan base felt that there was so much more it could do. And we visited about the very difficult situation that Frank was put in. He's following a guy who went 60-3. and three. There's no way he goes 60-3. and three. No. As good a coach as, as Frank is and certainly was, he ain't going 60-3. and And then when we saw the rise of the other teams in the Big 12 that had been in the doldrums for most of 10 years, like Texas and Oklahoma and Oklahoma State and certainly Kansas State and Missouri, when you saw their ascension and they were now on a level where they would compete for four quarters and in many cases defeat Nebraska like Oklahoma State did for the first time since 1961 and 2002, uh, it was a recruiting issue. Uh, mm-hmm. Nebraskans had bought into the fact that they weren't getting good players anymore. Too many Jermaine Billups were leaving Nebraska for the Iowa States. They couldn't recruit Seneca Wallace in here to follow Eric Crouch. Mm-hmm. This was a concern to Nebraska fans. And your point about the change, it was a radical change. But I think at the time, people were saying, OK, you know what? I know we've been really good driving this car for a long time, but let's try this car over here. It might be an even better ride than before. Uh, so they were willing to give the West Coast offense a chance. Uh, and if we look at the 2007-2008 seasons, Bill Callahan actually had it pretty close here. Yes, he he had spent five years getting his guys in here. He was really mm-hmm. advanced in recruiting data analytics. He, of course, was one of the founders of Huddle. And he had really created a system where he was identifying the personnel that would run his offense and then also perform against other teams in the Big 12. Uh, and 2007 was one of the more challenging schedules all that Nebraska had had in years. Uh, but if you look at how close it had been offensively and, and defensively, you look at a guy like Sue Haig, uh, Pierre Allen, uh, you look at a guy like Steinkuhler, these were pe- people coming on, Dillard, uh, mm-hmm. Prince of Mukamara. He had the material coming in here. The challenge, of course, was that Bill didn't recognize the importance of his staff. And that he right. had a defensive coordinator who was incapable of managing a defense against Big 12 spread offenses in Kevin right. Cosgrove. Right. And that was, and I think Kevin was a, a, a decent defensive coordinator. He just mm-hmm. didn't adapt. He didn't adapt well to the Big 12, which was right. radically different. It was spread out all over the field, yeah. unlike, unlike the Big 10. And yeah. Bill should have made a change. He was very loyal to Kevin mm-hmm. Cosgrove. And that's fine. No, no, I, you know what, Jimmy, you're right. When we, when we discuss the history, I, I never say Bill Callahan was a total failure because he wasn't. No. He did a pretty good job, and, it, and it's looking better all the time, by the way. But he did – the downfall was he didn't make a change at the defensive right. position. Yeah. That was pretty simple. And he had some other good assistants. This is the other thing people forget. You know, he not only recruited the Roy Halus of the world, and he not only recruited some really good people in here like Will Compton uh, and uh, Jeff Slauson and Carl Nix and these other people. 
But Jay Norvell was his first offensive coordinator. Joe Rudolph was a was an emerging, uh, promising young coach that was added to his staff in the last couple of years. There were a couple of baddies, but I thought Dennis Wagner was an underrated, underrated offensive line coach. When you consider how difficult it was personnel-wise in those early couple of years because there had not been enough offensive linemen or quarterbacks recruited or linebackers. Uh, pretty solid. So there were some good people on that staff. Tim oh, Cassidy. Yeah. Tim Cassidy is the elite football administrator in college football, in my view. And I, not just because I know Tim, but what he's done as a director of operations, everybody's following him over the last 20 years. So he had good people. Um, the challenge was the defensive side of the ball gave up too many yards. And uh, I think Bill just had a difficult time adapting to the college football role model as a head coach. Uh, it's different being a head coach in college football than in the NFL. Uh, and I think he struggled with wrapping his arms around the totality of being a head coach in the NFL in college football because his, his focus had been the NFL. Well, and you wonder, I mean, the one thing you wonder about Bill is if he had he made a move at defensive coordinator and and kept kept the ship going in a good direction and then it, then it got really good, how long would he be here? You know, that's the other thing you wonder about a little bit. Yeah, I doubt that. I, my suspicion would be if he had gotten Nebraska into the top 10 uh, playing in New Year's Day bowl games, maybe even winning a conference championship, he probably would have tried to find his way back into the NFL. Uh, knowing Bill as I do, I think he just really believed in the league. I think he wanted to redeem himself as a head coach uh, after the uh, Raider experience. Uh, and as a result of that, he thought Nebraska would be a great opportunity. I will say this. He did enjoy it here. Uh, he and his wife, Val, enjoyed it here. Uh, Bill enjoyed the fans. He enjoyed the repartee with the news media. Um, you know, he actually did enjoy it here. But I think, yeah, his career goals, you know, because he wasn't even 50 years old yet, I think his career goals would have taken him back to the NFL. And speaking of coaches, Sip, we're inside of a week now, presumably before a, a, a decision is made. Your views on uh, the coach search as of uh, 7.30 or so, 7.15 Central Time on Monday night. Well, I think we got a good idea. We got a better idea, actually. What better idea than probably a couple of weeks ago? What Trev is looking looking for, Trev Alberts. I mean, it's we're we're at Oscar Online. I mean, there's information has been hard to come by for everybody, but we do know now that there's no doubt that Matt Rule um, was pursued. Maybe still is being pursued. I don't know. It's I think the ship has sailed. It's possible that it would turn around and come back. Um, if, if you know, it's possible Nebraska would go back to rule. Um, I'm not ruling that out now. And also, Sean, had good information. They, there's, it's pretty clear that Nebraska targeted Stoops to Mark Stoops um, th through the search through the yes. search agency that contacted Jimmy Sexton, the super agent. And then Stoops, of course, got a pretty big raise out of it. Well, 6.35 million annually to 9 million annually. So those two guys are fairly similar, actually. Um, Rule and Stoops, both defensive-minded coach, both coaches, both, oh, I mean – Pretty Tough, toughness guys, you know, toughness guys, development pretty, guys. Yeah, pretty basic in their approach. Both in, I mean, now Rule was a line coach, came up as a line coach, really both sides. Um, 
and Stoops is just kind of a hard nosed, typical Youngstown guy. And, and so it was, it's, I think it's sort of informative that we know those two guys were or are targeted. I mean, were targeted in Stoops's case, perhaps are targeted in Rule's case. Although, again, I think they're they're moving beyond that now. They're tar- now Trev's targeting some other people. Well, and I think if you stay in that vein, now we're talking Luke Fickle because Luke Fickle is a defensive-minded coach. He was a defensive player at Ohio State. He was co-defensive coordinator under two head coaches there, Jim Tressel and Urban Meyer. Uh, his teams play big league defense at Cincinnati. If you watch them play, they could be an effective defense in the Big Ten Conference today with the personnel that he has down there, which is slightly above mid-major personnel. I mean, they're not out recruiting too many Big Ten schools for material. So uh, Luke Fickle has been flying under the radar. We'll get to Rosie's coaching derby a little later tonight, but we've been ignoring this guy, and I'm not really sure why, and I, I blame myself, uh, but we've been not talking much about this guy. Well, and there could be a couple of reasons for it. Is it realistic? Well, his the money he's making at Cincinnati is not spectacular. It's about five point three million a year. So if you just start breaking it down by silos, his salary is about five point three million a year. I believe something like that. He's got a long term contract, but his buyout is very light. By comparison, it's only three point five million dollars. Um, he did not take the Michigan State job, the, the job that went to Mel Tucker. But there, the circumstances at the time were pretty pressed. Uh, and I think he had to make a quick call. And I think he knew he had a top 10 team coming back to Cincinnati the following year, which he did do, wound up going to the playoffs. Uh, but this is a guy who really checks every box. Yeah. And I can't believe that CSA, College Sports Associates, this is the search firm, that Trev has put in place. I can't believe that his name hasn't bubbled up to the top of all of their software. Uh, if, if they plug in what Trev Alberts indicated was important to him, this guy has to pop up. Uh, now, the challenge, of course, is they are in their AAC championship game. They got a win over East Carolina. I think they're in pretty good shape, or maybe they've got one more game before that's, yeah. That one could, more game before that. Yeah, game. one more game. But if they yeah. win on Saturday, they're in. So unless he has a deal with Luke Fickle, I don't know that Trev can tolerate a week of not having his guy with the transfer portal date coming up. Uh, Meaning if he doesn't announce on Saturday or Sunday who this next person is, that means one of two things. Either he has his guy and his guy is playing in a conference championship game or he doesn't have his guy. And that's frustrating that means he's gotten a commitment from somebody and the guy backed out of the commitment. Or it could mean he wants to interview one or two or three people. But don't you think that's pretty risky, Sip, two months into the search, and this week is the critical week. Starting a week from today, I mean, the clock is ticking on the transfer portal, and you're just two weeks, uh, approximately two weeks ahead of National Signing Day. It wouldn't be it's, ideal. It'd be pretty risky to go another week and not have your guy. If you've been at this two and a half months, you could do it. And if you, if it means getting the right guy, you do do it. Right. And if it, if, and there's, there are some coaches that will not interview till after they're done playing. And that's now I'm not suggesting that's the case. As far as fickle goes, I absolutely agree with you that he would be number one on my list, but my, on my 
ultimate list. But my ultimate list is sort of irrelevant because I take into account, <laughs> I take into account real, I, I whether it's realistic or not, the higher. Yeah. And I don't put rule in the realistic category. I, I just don't. You mean fickle? You mean you don't put yeah, fickle in the realistic? Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't. I just think that. And you don't because? Well, because of because of what he could be waiting, what I perceive he's waiting for, which could be Ohio State, which could be, you know, waiting for Day to jump to the NFL, which almost happened last year. Uh, maybe the Notre Dame job. Maybe the fact he's got six kids and he just doesn't want to make this colossal move when, he, when you don't really have to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot that goes into that discussion. And some of it, Jimmy, is, uh, I mean, it's just perception. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know anything along those lines. It's just a, a lot of sort of speculation. But, oh, God, if, if, if Trev, if that's what Trev has cooking, yes. <laughs> That's that would be amazing. Well, and I've said this for the last month and a half uh, in my top list of candidates uh, as an observer and as a fan. Uh, I'm thrilled with any of those guys. And Fickle would be one. Bill O'Brien would be one. Lance Leipold would be one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. We're starting to see people peel off a little bit. Um, and I'm speaking specifically about Bill O'Brien, and here's why. Uh, NFL reporters don't go to the internet for all of their information. They typically have sources within NFL organizations. And there have been NFL reports out of New England that Bill O'Brien may return to the Patriots, something that was discussed a year ago. But since Bill Belichick and Nick Saban are such good friends, mm-hmm. and Belichick made a commit, or rather, O'Brien made a commitment to Saban for two years, and it would have been disruptive for Alabama to have Bill O'Brien leave after one year, especially mm-hmm. since Bryce Young declared he'd come back and he and O'Brien are very tight, but the two years are up after this season. They're not playing in the SEC title game. So O'Brien, I thought would be an outstanding candidate and still do for Nebraska, but he may, and we, we spoke about this in the beginning, he may have a preference to return to the NFL. Right. And, and returning to the NFL with the New England Patriots would be perfect as offensive coordinator, he's got Mac Jones there as a young quarterback, and Bill Belichick has complete faith and confidence in O'Brien as a as an assistant. For he was there for five years before Penn State. Probably not real happy with Matt Patricia, who has been their offensive play caller this year. They're twenty sixth in the league in offense in yards per game. So I'm just wondering if Bill O'Brien has fallen off. Mark Stoops has fallen off. Maybe Matt Rule has fallen off. Maybe he wants to wait for the Texas A&M situation. Right. I he think may feel true. like the Texas A&M situation is far more favorable. And if uh, Jimbo Fisher decides I'm sick and tired of the, of the complaining and the whining and the interference by boosters, I'll just go to West Virginia and get a lifetime contract. And that'll leave A&M open. Nobody loses the $89 million buyout. And in comes Matt Rule, who was wildly successful at Baylor. I think that's a I think that's a realistic scenario. Another realistic scenario is you have uh, Robin waiting in the bullpen, and I got yes. a bolt. So Jimmy, wow, that went fast. Sip, it's always a joy. Uh, anytime you're on, it just zooms by. It God really bless does. you. 
God bless. <laughs> All right. Steve Sippel, ladies and gentlemen. Take we'll care. See you next week, brother. All right. Jim. Bring in Robin. Watch it. Now, Robin, um, there's no question that Sip is show prep for most talk shows. So the, the pressure now is on you to come up with something unique and different after Sip. Uh, it's a big chore. It's sort of like Frank following Tom Osborne. You just followed a 60 and three coach. Exactly. So the key yep. is finding something that Sip doesn't know, which is hard. But the good news is there's so much up there for Sip that he, he, he forgets a lot of that stuff or sort of falls out of the bag. And that's for you and me to pick up on the street corner. Absolutely. Being unique and different after Steve Sipple is a really tall task. And I don't, not one that I don't know if I can necessarily handle, but I will try my, my absolute best. <laughs> All right. First, your thoughts on the Nebraska Wisconsin game, maybe your thoughts on the Iowa game too. Really haven't talked about that. It's almost as if right. Nebraska has finished its season mentally. Maybe the Husker nation has checked out. They really don't want to watch this Iowa game because it's possible. Iowa will shut out Nebraska. That's how good Iowa's defense is, and that's how bad Nebraska's offense has been. Uh, it really is the best defense in the Big Ten Conference. It certainly is the most opportunistic. Yeah. But your uh, your thoughts on the Iowa game? Yeah, I mean, that's that's what it comes down to is Nebraska has to play as close to mistake-free football in all three phases as it possibly can. Uh, and that, you know, offense, defense, special teams – because Iowa finds more ways to score in odd ways than any team in the country. Uh, their offense was well documented. Uh, how bad they've been, you know, talking with Iowa reporters, uh, it's almost confounding how they are in this position to where they're a game away from winning the Big Ten West with this offense. Um, <laughs> their struggles offensively have been lamented out there to where it's almost been contentious with, uh, you know, Kirk Ferentz and the the media. Uh, but here they are, you know, they, they found a way one way or another week in week out, they find the strangest ways possible to win games. Uh, and a lot of that is because of their defense. They, they maximize every opportunity they get. They're stout against the run and they have a secondary that does not make mistakes. And so for Nebraska, I guess the good news is that you have Casey Thompson back. If they did not have Casey Thompson, I would give them 0% chance at winning this game, but Casey at least at least gives them a heartbeat. Uh, so, you know, they, they threw for barely over a hundred yards, uh, you know, against Wisconsin, but they threw two touchdowns, you know, and that's one more than they had the entire time. Casey Thompson was out. So it's improvement. I don't know if it's going to be enough improvement, but I guess the good news is that Nebraska's defense has been playing well enough to give them a chance if the offense were to actually do its part. So uh, it's a lot to ask on that end, but um, you know, it comes down to mistake-free football offensively and then the special teams also, not not giving up that big punt block or punt return or whatever it is because I was just as good in the third element as well. It'll be a challenge, the Nebraska defense. Uh, and again, this was against the worst Wisconsin offense in 10 years and maybe 15 years over there. The Nebraska defense gave up a 14-play drive, a 14-play drive, and a 10-play drive. And they couldn't get off the field in the fourth quarter. Yep. Wisconsin ran 19 plays in the fourth quarter. Uh, I think that Iowa's offense is sizably worse than Wisconsin's. But the challenge is that everybody seems to have their best day against the Nebraska defense. And this is what's frustrating, I think, to a lot of Nebraska fans. And your observation, please. And that is... The effort is there, 
nobody is arguing that the Huskers gave up, okay? Nobody's suggesting that they just shut her down. But they're getting blocked on every play. They don't get off blocks. They didn't miss as many tackles. They just don't get to the guy with the ball. And that's a frustration because usually on defense, a lot of that is made up for with effort. True. And I will say that being on the field for 70 plays against Wisconsin's offense, uh, eventually it's going to get hard, you know, and Garrett Nelson and, um, you know, some of the players that we talked to kind of admitted that they, it felt like Wisconsin's O-line by the end of the game was just leaning on them. And that's just the nature of the way that they play football. You know, the Wisconsin stuck to its plan for better or worse, and it ended up paying off when it mattered the most to where they were able to eventually wear down Nebraska's defense and then make the biggest plays of the game when they had to. And so uh, part of that, yes, is the defense not being able to do its part in critical situations, but I also, you know, blame the offense for not staying on the field and getting protecting that defense against that style. I mean, this is going to be five straight weeks against just power run game offenses with big physical offensive lines. I don't care who you are. You can be Georgia's defense, and you're going to struggle against that, or at least show some wear and tear down the stretch. And I think you're starting to see that now where you can do nothing but commend Nebraska's defense for the job that they've done against this level of competition. They've faced four of the top running backs in college football for four straight weeks. And, yes, they've gotten their yards, but every one of those backs had to work for it. Uh, They didn't get those big 200 250 yard games that we've seen in the past, like Braylon Allen uh, a couple of years ago, you know, they they've gotten 32 carries for 150, which, you know, they're, they're still getting theirs, but they're having to work for it. And so, uh, you know, going into that, as far as the game plan goes, that's, that's about as much as you can ask for. And you're talking about the chunk plays, Robin, um, over the last several years, the Nebraska defense, you know, they might bottle them up for a while, but then they'll give up a 40 yard run or right. give up a, this is what Mohammed Ibrahim did to to Iowa. Uh, I don't know how many fans here after the Nebraska game were in the mood to watch Iowa, Minnesota. I was. Yeah. I'm was. a big fan of, of Minnesota. I can just tell you that that was pure, perfect execution in a running game. Minnesota dominated that second half on the ground. And Ibrahim was spectacular. He put on one of the great one-man shows that I've seen all year. And tragically, one of their last two drives ended in a fumble by him inside their 25-yard line. Mm-hmm. And then there was an interception by their freshman quarterback, who I think is going to be good. I mean, Adekagmanis is going to be good, but that was a disastrous play. And it ultimately made the difference. But this was a very, very well-executed running game. And that's the only thing that I've seen all year that resembles Iowa bending other than the Ohio State game. And they actually played damn good defense in their Iowa State game, certainly in the first half after that putrid performance by the Iowa offense in the first half of that game. I think they gave the ball to Ohio State three times inside its own 30-yard line in the first half and only gave up 13 points, two field goals and a touchdown. It was insane. Uh-huh. Uh, but it shows that you can run the ball against them if you execute between the tackles. And I still maintain that Anthony Grant is the most underrated back in the Big Ten Conference, who's also the most underused. Give him the ball and make him run between the tackles and just see how long he lasts. Right. And, you know, that's been a real criticism about Nebraska's offense is their commitment to the running game, especially when we talk week in, week out, how they need to 
establish the run. How Mickey Joseph's talking about we need to get better at turning around and handing the ball off and getting consistent yardage out of it. And, you know, when you're averaging 1.8 yards per carry like you did uh, against Wisconsin, that's hard to do. Uh, so you can talk about commitment to the run game, but when you're not getting anything on first and second down and you're only running 49 plays in a game, you know, that, that, that plan goes out the window pretty quickly. And so, you know, I think the opportunity is there certainly for Anthony Grant to have more of a role, but they got to get more out of that offensive line. Like you look at just the yards after contact Anthony Grant is getting where he's getting minimal yardage, but then you look at the percentage of that yardage that he's getting that's coming after contact. It makes it even more damning on Nebraska's offensive line for just their inability to create any sort of push. And again, they're playing top 10 defenses week after week. Iowa being the next on that list. I think it's five straight games against top 10 defenses. So, you know, that, that's a daunting challenge no matter who you are. But the only chance Nebraska stands is to be able to have a consistent early, relatively consistent running game where they can at least keep drives on schedule. And you're not sitting there looking at second and 11 and third and nine every single drive to where Casey Thompson has to do everything. And unfortunately, in these last few games, especially without Casey, uh, that was far too often the case. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Let's uh, get your view on a couple of coaching candidates, Robin Washington. Let's visit about Deion Sanders. I didn't get to sip on Deion Sanders. Uh, this is the flavor of the month in college football, and maybe because it's Deion Sanders and maybe because he's really good. Uh, the guy has coached exceptionally well. He's coaching in a horrible place. Jackson, Mississippi is one of the worst communities in this country. They have groundwater problems. The water actually got turned off. It's, it's just a disaster down there. The state of Mississippi has a lot of beautiful things. But I got to tell you, Jackson ain't one of them. So he's down there and he has resurrected this program. It is now the dominant program in a mid-major conference in the SWAC conference. It's a historically black college university. It's not a power five or power six level conference. It's really not even like an AAC. Uh, It's a notch below that. But the guy lights up rooms. Um, In your view, should he be a Nebraska candidate? Um. I think that you can maybe make an argument for it, but personally, I just don't see it. Like, I mean, look at him right now. He's right. Yeah. <laughs> like, you think that's going to, he's riding around that on uh, Memorial stadium. Like I, you know, primetime has his place in college football, obviously major college football, not just at Jackson. State. I think that he deserves to be an FCS power five level coach just because he, he has that presence about him, and clearly uh, he's able to recruit. They just got the number one prospect in the nation in the last class. So, you know, I mean, he's he knows how to get that part of it done. But, you know, for what Nebraska needs right now, I, I it's just a hard sell for me personally. And I know a lot of people, at least on our message board on Husker Online, they, they might feel differently about that. But, uh, you know, Nebraska, I think, just needs some stability. And with Dion, you're getting – 
everything but to where yeah. you know it's it's a lot of flash, a lot of hype. Um, and you know, I don't know if Nebraska's in a position to where that is the right solution to fix the problems that are on the plate right now. The point you're making is once the party is over, somebody has to govern. Exactly. And that means once the hoopla is over, once the excitement is over, he's got to come into a building and he has to assemble a staff. Yep. He has to assemble a system, assemble a program with nutrition to recruiting, to analytics, to outreach, to NIL, to the transfer portal. He has to do all of that. And he's never done any of that. Right. And in addition to that, you get to the power five level conference school, you deal with outside influences. You're not going to have to worry about donors or boosters at Jackson State, okay? You go get kids that want to play for you, that were ignored by big-time guys, or maybe they got some academic liabilities. Yep. And so recruiting the, the level of individual to be competitive at Jackson State versus the Big Ten Conference, when Nebraska over the last five years is 2-18 and 18 against the Big Ten Western Division, mm. not even including Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State, two and 18 against the big 10 Western division. I think you've got to look at it in terms of, all right, somebody's going to have to run the show after they get hired. And who do we have that's built a program? Who do we have that's been competitive in a power five conference level? He may be able to recruit guys, but this job as we've learned requires so much more than just the ability to get good players in here. Has he ever developed a player? Yeah. He's probably got a lot of talented athletes in the right position in a conference where that's all it is. You're not going to you're not going to go up against great scheming head coaches in that conference, but you are in this one. Uh, and I think that's an on the job training exercise for some coaches. But you can't argue the sizzle that he brings and you can't argue the excitement that he would bring if he would wind up at a place like Lincoln. Yeah. And, you know, I'm with you. I, I just want how how long lived that excitement would be, you know, when you get to the, the reality of it and it comes down to rubber meets the road and you're in the big 10 and, you know, you're trying to build uh, a program against the type of schedules that Nebraska faces year in, year out in this conference, it's a different animal. You know, you saw it with Scott Frost. I mean, the guy walked on water at central Florida, like he could do no wrong. His offense was immaculate. He was the flashiest coach in the country, national coach of the year. Like everything that he touched turned to gold and he gets to Nebraska and reality slapped him in the face very quickly. And he was never able to adjust. He was never able to recover and it just never worked. And I see a lot of similarities with just what I know about Deion Sanders as a head football coach to just his ability to handle all that comes with not just Nebraska, but with trying to build a program in the big 10, just with a degree of difficulty there. I'm intrigued by Zach Taylor. Uh, I, I just don't know that this is going away. Uh, what are they, five and four now, I believe, or six and four? They're in the thick uh, of it. Right in they're the in the thick of it. Um, his, his overall package is not monster big there. It's only about four and a half million, which is a lot to you and me, but not a lot to Sip and to Sean, but it's a lot to you and me. Uh, but that's far less than Nebraska would pay if they had a shot at Zach Taylor. Sure, He has a very light resume in college football. And I know this is going to sound strange because you're thinking you're a great coach, you're a great coach. Not necessarily. He has spent all of his career in the NFL, virtually, except for a couple of years at Cincinnati under Tommy Tuberville. He has spent almost his entire career in the NFL. Folks, 
you, you really don't fully appreciate the gap in how NFL teams are run by comparison to college teams until you've seen it. It's an entirely different personnel arrangement. You're taking immature young guys and you're putting them in a college setting versus established professional athletes mm -hmm. who have a completely different mindset and approach to the job. It's still fantasy land stuff for college kids. It's not for professional athletes. It's truly a job. Absolutely. And when you come to, to work every day and the athlete is completely focused on his job, which is what a professional athlete is, versus a kid who might have stayed out late or just broke up with his girlfriend or maybe he didn't get the NIL check when he expected it. It's a very different experience. Yeah, no question. Like you said, it's it's the difference between a full-time job and then the actual amateurism that is still remaining with collegiate athletics to where you still have to worry about guys going to class. You have to still worry about them uh, as young adults, you know, not grown men, you know, 18 to 22 year olds that make, dumb decisions and do things. And, and that, that's just the roster management. And then a place like Nebraska, there's the entire other commitment with all the media appearances and all the uh, things outside of just X's and O's of football that come with it to where in the NFL, it's football. It's a job. You focus on your team and you're gro dealing with grown men who are professionals uh, and, and everybody just knows what to do. Whereas with college, you are in charge of making sure everyone knows what to do. So that, that is the biggest transition, in my opinion, especially someone that is coming from the pros with no or to very little collegiate experience. Um, you know, that, that's a major hurdle because you have to completely change the way that you operate from a day-to-day -day situation and dealing with things that uh, you don't even have to think about at the professional level. So, yeah, I, you know, I think, there's a lot to like about Zach. I love him. Uh, I've known him since he first got here. Uh, you know, when I was covering him with the school paper, he and I were, you know, we're about the same age. So, uh, you know, I, I kept up with Zach and, uh, you know, it's awesome to see him get to where he is, but you know, I, right now, I just don't know if it's right time, right place for him to take that job. I, I think the world is Zach Taylor. I, I truly do. I think he's one of the two most courageous quarterbacks we've ever had here. Absolutely. Eric Crouch being the other one. Uh, this guy has a heart as big as Mount Rushmore. Uh, this guy is a fabulous football coach and a fabulous person. And if he got the job, I would be cheerleader A. I mean, I just think the guy is a fantastic person. Absolutely. Uh, and maybe he is ready to make a jump back to college. He's got a young family. Maybe he wants some stability. The NFL does not offer that. He has one or two main injuries away from a losing season. And coaches do get blamed for injuries in That's the like NFL. So, uh Nobody would be more thrilled if Zach Taylor came here than me. Uh, maybe the timing is right. Maybe not. Well, let's take a look at, uh, you know, Robin, let's take a look at Rosie's coaching derby for uh, this week, which is the 21st of November. On the upswing is the trend, your friend. Certainly Luke Fickle has Cincinnati right back in the thick of an AAC championship. This guy is a Big Ten guy. He's won championships. He's very stable. He has 44 victories in the last four years, plus eight this year. But here's the other impressive number. The guy has had 16 NFL draft choices out of Cincinnati, which is a mid-major program. So that says a lot about Luke Fickle. Bill O'Brien, we visited about him. NFL reporters say he wants back in as offensive coordinator with the New England Patriots. And I don't even believe he's interviewed for the Nebraska job. Now, assistant coaches can probably interview 
um, in circumstances that are unlike, say, a head coach interviewing. I don't know that he's even interviewed for Nebraska. Nobody knows. But he is very close with Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick has one of the worst defenses in the NFL this year. And the impression all along was that Bill O'Brien would want to get back into the NFL. Uh, Matt Rule continues to be a strong candidate because of his availability, because of his defensive bent, because of his toughness reputation and his development reputation. Uh, And he's available right now. I don't know if he said no. Maybe he could be swayed back into the conversation if necessary. I know that KU got blown out uh, against Texas. This is still an outstanding football coach who has built a program. He's stable. He's a great communicator. To me, Lance Leipold and Gary Patterson are outstanding candidates because you can't argue, Robin, that this TCU team is Gary Patterson's team. And they may be doing, the Sunny Dykes may be pushing the right buttons, but that personnel is Gary Patterson's. What say you? Yeah, and they're doing it with a quarterback from Council Bluffs. So there you go. <laughs> you know, about talk about being able to recruit the area. Uh, you know, Gary Patterson obviously uh, has as good of a resume as anybody on that list as far as realistic options on Nebraska's list. But I'm I'm with you on Leipold. Like people want to immediately dismiss him on a week to week basis, but I look at the overall body of work with him and his track record of what he did at Wisconsin Whitewater, build them into a perennial championship uh, juggernaut, and then went to Buffalo and immediately turned them into one of the best teams, not only in the MAC, but, um, you know, in that, that, that non-power five level. And then, you know, he comes to Kansas year two, he's already going to a bowl game and doing things that that program hasn't sniffed since Mark Mangino. So everywhere he's gone, he's won. And yeah, they just got housed by Texas. I get it. And you got to keep in mind, they just lost their starting quarterback. So, most teams regress when that happens, but uh, I still look at what he's done and his history of building programs and having a recipe for turning perennial losers into winners as a very important feather in his cap when it comes to this discussion. And, you know, Gary Patterson obviously um, has that as well. Um, you know, I would even put Chris Kleiman in that discussion as well. Uh, I think that his system at Kansas state, you could make the case that this Kansas state team would run away with the big 10 West. If they were replaced Nebraska in the big 10 West with that schedule, you know, they're probably already booking their tickets to Indianapolis for the, the big 10 championship. So I think his style of play perfectly translates to the big 10. Um, obviously he can recruit this area with far less resources than what he would have in Nebraska. So He's very high on my list. Um, so was Leipold. Uh, I really like Fickle. Obviously, I, I heard Sipple earlier saying he's number one. I just question the re- the, the reality of that one. Um, and then with the unknowns about Matt Rule, you know, it seemed like it was on the precipice of happening, and that was kind of cooled off a little bit. You just got to wonder if maybe his side of things is holding back a little bit to see what happens with some other Again. I think there's that Texas A&M thing. I think he he may be leaving that within a year, Texas A&M will be open. Yeah. Uh, that he would be a leading candidate for Texas A&M because of his, his success at Baylor. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. 
Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Chris Kleiman is an outstanding football coach. Here's the challenge that Nebraska has with Chris Kleiman. He is Lance Leipold uh, advanced a couple of years because he's been at K-State. Now I think this is his fifth season, fourth or fifth season. Uh, Chris Kleiman won five consecutive national championships at North Dakota State. Okay. I mean, that's astounding. I don't care what level you're coaching. Five consecutive national championships. They play good football in the FCS. I don't they care what. They play really good football in the FCS. That is an outstanding program, and he won five straight national titles in it. Here's the 69-6 and six in his career as head coach at North Dakota State. Here's the challenge. He and the athletic director at Kansas State are extremely tight. This is not just a boss-employee relationship. This is a personal relationship. Gene Taylor was named athletic director at K-State, and when Bill Snyder retired, he went and got Chris Kleiman. Uh, And it's not just he's my boss and I trust him. It's he's a close, personal friend. And he said early on, quote, Gene Taylor, he's my guy. That's what Chris Kleiman said in, in September. They beat Kansas this week. They play in the Big 12 title game. I think under any other conditions, Chris Kleiman would have to be considered a leading candidate for Nebraska. I just don't see him leaving Gene Taylor down there. Uh, And I don't think it's about money. I think they can give him as much money as he wants or could need. They're in a conference that won't have Texas and Oklahoma in it. If you're Chris Kleiman, would you rather have to beat Houston, Cincinnati, and Central Florida or beat Texas and Oklahoma every year? Uh, And and I think that tells you all you need to know about – whether they can win the championship there. Lance Leipold has Nebraska ties. That's the difference between Lance and Chris. But Chris won national championships at a higher level than Lance did. Uh, I just think that the relationship he has with Gene Taylor, the athletic director, would make it very difficult for him to leave there. And it's the same setup that Bill Snyder had with the late John Weefald, who was president of Kansas State during Snyder's tenure there. Uh, There was more than mutual trust. There was a personal relationship there that Snyder did not want to mortgage. He said, I, this is, I, I don't need any more money. I can win here. I'm happy here. I have full reign here. And I have a president that is absolutely on the same page that I am relative to what it's going to take to be competitive here. And sometimes people don't mess with happy. And I think that's where Chris Kleiman may be. I don't know that he wants to mess with happy. Uh, which which could take him, I think, under, there's no doubt CSA probably had Chris Kleiman's name bubble up when they plugged in the Trev metrics. Uh, but I just don't know that he would leave there to come here at this stage of his career. He's won national championships. He's making a lot of money. He's probably having a lot of fun. NIL is not a big deal at Kansas State. The transfer portal, although he's gotten a lot of Nebraska guys, is not a big deal. But I got to tell you, uh, he'd be awesome under any other com- circumstances, I think. Uh, I just don't know that Nebraska can pry him out of Manhattan. Yeah, and I, I maybe maybe the one selling point is just the shift of the college football landscape right now to where being in the Big Ten makes you one of the haves, where right now if you're Kansas State, you got to wonder what your future is in two, three years. And so uh, if his window of opportunity were to present itself to secure a spot at the big kid table, so to speak, the grown-up table, this would be it, in my opinion. Because if he sticks at Kansas State, there's just a lot of unknowns right now. Uh, where do they where do they end up 
in that grand shuffle uh, of, of college football, college athletic alignment. And so that might be a factor. Obviously, the money that comes with Nebraska's Big Ten alignment, uh, not just from a coaching salary standpoint, from a resource, a staff, $155 million facility standpoint. Like they've got pretty much everything you could ask for that Kansas State, while there are obviously a lot of personal ties there, they can't match to that degree. So I, uh, you know, I'm curious to see where that line is as far as his his personal connections to Kansas State. Obviously, like you laid out, he's got every reason in the world to stay there. But yeah. in the in the big picture, you know, when he looks at kind of where he wants his career to go from here, are the opportunities at Nebraska, would they be enough to potentially lure him out of a very comfortable situation? That's the question that Chris Kleiman and Gene Taylor are probably grappling with all week. Because uh, I can't believe he hasn't gotten at least a phone call from CSA or his representation hasn't gotten at least a phone call from CSA, how much interest would Chris Kleiman have in the Nebraska job? There's another factor that I think he's weighing, and that is in this new world of the transfer portal and this new world of NIL, the one level of football that's getting forgotten is the junior college level. People are not getting JUCOs anymore because they can just go to the transfer portal and get what they want. Kansas State can still use the junior college pipeline. And there are a lot of them in Kansas. And there are a lot of them between Kansas, Oklahoma, and Texas. Uh, and since everybody else is ignoring JUCOs now, right. for the most part, he can capitalize on that. And Lance Leipold can capitalize on that. And they'll let any junior college player in at Kansas State. So he's never going to have to worry about that. Um, it's, it's all about how much difficult, more or less difficult, it will be to either maintain your level of success or ratchet it up a spot or two. And under those conditions, you know, you want to go to a school like Nebraska that can still recruit nationally, even though it's very difficult. Uh, and that might weigh in there. But I look at a guy like Jeff Monken at Army, and I know a lot of people are just shuddering at the thought that Trev Alberts would hire a coach from one of the service academies. But number one, Troy Calhoun has as much experience as anybody, he's the coach at Air Force. Troy Calhoun has coached in the NFL as a coordinator. Okay, that's a big deal. Uh, and they've been very competitive. They can't, NIL means nothing at the service academies. Um, transfer portals mean nothing at the service academies. They have height and weight issues that nobody else has to worry about. But Jeff Munkin runs an offense that is fun to watch. And I know people think, oh, Rosie, this is the old triple option. This is the wishbone. No, it isn't. He actually runs out of a flex bone attack. And if you look at film, I'd encourage Nebraska fans to do this. If you look at film, they run out of the flex bone, which includes a run pass option look. They run out of the pistol. They have three wides. You must defend the run and the pass because often the tight end, the running back and the fullback, the tailback and the fullback are in the backfield or they motion them out of there. And it's a very difficult offense to defend. And if you put that offense on the field in Lincoln with great athletes, like the ones that are there now, okay, like Trey Palmer, like Vokalek, like Grant, you're going to see an entirely different level of productivity. So I like this guy. I think this guy's an excellent football coach. The challenge is a very limited amount of experience in a Power 5 conference. Yeah, and I mean, there's a lot to be said for that. Not just 
the level of competition you're coaching against, uh, but the ability to acquire the talent necessary to compete at that level. And, um, you know, it's an offense like that, a style that he plays, I think is extremely conducive to the, the level of, of, of an army. Um, but I just, I question the ability to translate that into the big 10 where, I mean, you're facing elite level talent on both sides of the ball week in week out. Um, you see Nebraska right now, just the way they struggle, um, you know, at, at key positions, that that's, that's a major step up uh, as far as just degree of difficulty of what you're handling with that program. And, you know, I, I'm sure that given time um, there, there'd probably be an ability for, for Monken to adjust to that. But right now I, I question it. Um, and I'm, I'm with a lot of fans with their kind of, uh, and I, 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 I agree with you. I think in this, in this spot in history, I don't know that Nebraska can risk hiring a coach who's never coached much at that level. You've yeah. got to have somebody with big 10 or major power conference, power five conference experience, and not a little, a lot of it, preferably head coach experience like yeah. Bill O'Brien has. Okay. Like, um, Chris Kleiman has, like um, Luke Fickle has. He was the interim coach at Ohio State, but he was defensive coordinator under two head coaches there. Uh, at this point in time, it's a big risk. But I know Trev likes these kinds of coaches because they develop guys. They, they are detail-oriented guys. Uh, they are very, very good at process. And that's something that he values greatly. Uh, but we're going to know in probably a week or so, or if we don't know in a week or so, you know what that means? That means his guy is probably still playing, and that narrows the narrows field down the pool a little bit, doesn't it? <laughs> All right, Robin, it's great talking to you. Um, like I said, if if you really want to track down Sean right now, uh, he's probably signing autographs. Uh, like I said, we we heard through reliable sources that he had been granted two quarters of eligibility by the NSAA <laughs> to perform in the Class A title game at left guard for Westside tonight. Oh man, um, and. You know, just, just Coach Lamanji is not taking anything for granted. They know that he's he's a thinking man's offensive lineman. So that's why he's away. No, he's working the telecast. That's why he's away, which left us to do this pollution. Uh, you hey, know, well, he's internet. lining up at left guard. I'm following I'm following that 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 lead block yeah. all the way to the title. No doubt about yeah. it. Yeah. He's got the foot speed. He's got the foot speed. It's great talking to you, man. Maybe next week, maybe we'll be talking about a new Nebraska football coach, but have a great week, all right? Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Jim. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for the Monday Rundown Live here on Husker Online. Thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure having all of you. Thank you for your comments and, and all of your participation. Uh, hang in there, Husker Nation. A good thing is going to happen this week. I really believe that. Keep the faith. We have the right people at the top of the food chain down there. They're going to make a great choice. Have a great Thanksgiving week. Be safe, and we'll see you here next week.